Welcome back to Unscripted. I'm your host, Lindsay Amarine. I had the absolute pleasure this week of talking with Dr. Heidi Finnis. She is the president of the Hematology Oncology Pharmacy Association and senior manager of pharmacy cancer research at the Mayo Clinic. We talk about her goals and initiatives for HOPA this year, including focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as burnout. Please enjoy Dr. Heidi Finnis. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Happy to be home. <laughs> You've had quite the, the travel trip. Yep. COVID four days into a trip in Ireland was not, I mean, I guess we spent a lot of time together, but. <laughs> right. Well, I hope the trip was well. And it was good. Well before that. So you actually got COVID during the trip. I was thinking like you did the trip and then to get home is when you found out. Oh, so we went and we have friends um, that are there just for kind of a two year period. So we wanted to visit them. Their children are our godchildren. And we hadn't made it over because of COVID. So we decided we were going to pull the trigger and go. We did four days of the trip. Uh, in Dublin, which is where they live, went to Belfast on a train with them and then the five-year-old and the two-year-old. Luckily, none of them got it. Got back on Saturday night before Easter. Easter morning, my husband woke up and I was like, you sound terrible. I think we should test you. <laughs> and he was he was pretty strongly positive immediately. <laughs> and then two days later, I got it. Oh, wow. Well, then you, you've been on, uh, you've been to multiple conferences and kind of been jet setting. Yeah. So we went to the Assembia conference in Las Vegas, uh, the first uh, four days in May, uh, which was, I had never been to that conference. It's a really interesting uh, specialty pharmacy focus, some payers, a lot of big corporations are there. So um, I think it's a good opportunity for HOPA to really take a look at their membership and say, what can we do for, for these members? So we talked to some different groups while we were there, Walgreens and Coda, some different electronics companies to see if they can help us with maybe building some platforms and things. So That's awesome. Well, how, how has your president year been thus far? It's been a, just a couple months. Yep. Uh, so I started April 1st. Um, it's been good so far. We're getting ready for committee turnover, which is always kind of a process trying to be sure we get people to a, committees they want to participate on. But otherwise, the travel's a little bit heavier. I was last week at a JCPP meeting in Alexandria, and then we go to um, an ASAE exceptional board, uh, Leanne Kennedy, who's the president-elect, and I next week. So we're excited to kind of help them help us be better <laughs> board well, members, if you will. So yeah. it's been good so far. Oh, I feel like, you know, we went several years with no travel. Mm-hmm everything's virtual. And I thought it was going to be kind of a gradual pickup of now we're starting back, you know, slowly travel. But for you, I feel like it's, it's probably been much quicker and now everything's not virtual and you are traveling a ton. We, I think it's just front loaded. Um, after ASCO, then I'm home pretty much most of the summer. We're going to start our HOPA strategic planning um, in August, but they're going to do that in Minneapolis. So it's close to me, uh, which is kind of nice. So I don't have to travel very far for that. 
And then it's really kind of around practice management again. Hill Day will be, I think, around that time um, also. So it, it kind of seems like it's in clumps, spring and then fall. And then fall, yeah. Well, at least it, that's, you know, at least you get the summer to recoup and uh, yep. gear up for, for all the things in the fall. Catch up at work. <laughs> yeah, that's you. Yeah, you do have a full-time day job as well. Mm-hmm. So with the the strategic plan, uh, you know, I'm interested in kind of what are your your hopes for HOPA for the year and where do you kind of see HOPA going, you know, from the, within the strategic planning process? So, you know, HOPA, obviously the, the mission and the vision is that a pharmacist is always integral to any patient with cancer and on, on the care team. Um, and HOPA, you know, what we want to provide are the resources to pharmacists to be successful on those teams and be there for patients and really uh, get that out of what they do every day for patients. We've had four strategic pillars. Um, One of the things that I'm questioning, so our strategic pillars are professional tools and resources, uh, research, advocacy, and then kind of our education, which has always been HOPA's uh, bread and butter associated with that. You know, we're really trying to take, I think, under Larry Bowie's presidency, a a better look at what do patients need from their hematology oncology pharmacists. And so, you know, one of the things I think we've been trying to figure out for the strategic plan right now is how does that patient fit in? Is it kind of overarching all of the other pillars in what HOPA does? You know, is it its own um, kind of part of, you know, right now it's part of the advocacy, but advocacy is such a broad um, topic related to patients, but also related to other issues like provider status and, and those sorts of things. And so how do we how do we fit that in so that it's interwoven? Obviously, our DEI initiatives that were also started last year and the year before that are going to be very important in everything that we do because that really touches um, everything. And we we hope that the hard work the DEI um, committee, well, now it's a committee, it was a task force, that they have done, um, we can get implemented uh, within the next year or two, you know, and that gets uh, to be a part of our strategic plan as well. You know, one of the things that I'm focused on, and potentially it's because I'm more involved in investigational drugs and research, is really how do we as pharmacists continue to treat cancer patients in novel ways post the pandemic, if we're ever post <laughs> the pandemic? You know, we've been we've been novel in some of the things that we've done, and I really do see these as opportunities for places that pharmacists can take workload from, not take workload from physicians, but help with workload from physicians so that we can do some of those tasks like documentation of toxicities or you know, medication reconciliation via, you know, avenue like this or um, telephone or even face-to-face to help make those those physician visits efficient so that physicians can see other patients who are more critical or even more patients, which is kind of what we're doing at my own institution, trying to have physicians see more patients. I think pharmacists are an integral part of helping with that. So we've been trying to think about, and I was even just on a call with HOPA some HOPA members today about how do we, how do we promote that? You know, do we use practice management? Do we use the annual conference to promote some of those novel ways in which people are providing care? Like during COVID, I heard people had drive up clinics and patients really like that type of thing. And so how do we bring our services more to the patient to make us more 
of a vital person that they talk to. I mean, I, I haven't met a patient. I don't think that doesn't feel that the oncology pharmacist added something to their care. It's how do we get ourselves in front of those people so that they are asking for us to, to do those things. And I think once you have the pharmacist on your team, you don't ever want them to leave. Okay. And then it's just making sure that we make sure that the pharmacist is on the team. Yep. Yep. It's just, you know, we, we're working at my institution, you know, to try to show that having the pharmacist there can allow the patient or allow the care team to see more patients. And that's how we're trying to justify. And so what are the things that we need to be doing, you know, virtually? We don't have those types of metrics, I don't think, because we haven't provided care in those types of ways before. So, And that honestly is something I think the pandemic has helped with, mm-hmm. is providing those virtual platforms and making them the default. I mean, they are the standard that, I mean, I can tell you every meeting on my calendar has, it's virtual. It has a virtual option, at least. I mean, there's very few things that you have to do in person and it's, it's all ability to do virtual. So I think that's maybe the good thing that's come out of the the pandemic is that ability to connect with people in a different way. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think one of the other things that's um, at the first, at the forefront, at least of my mind is, is wellness and um, burnout associated with pharmacists. Um, That was kind of one of, one of the things that we've chosen as a board to focus on. Um, Allison Goldbach, uh, she was a resident at Mayo Clinic and now works at the University of Kansas, did a research project during the pandemic, but I think it also reflects some of some burnout that has been existing long before the pandemic started. So I think they acknowledge that it was done during the pandemic, but we know this is something that's been happening with pharmacists. I think she found close to 62% of pharmacists in hematology oncology that she conducted a survey on had some sort of of high burnout. And uh, about 20% of those were concerned about making a major medical error. And so that was kind of a, a wake up call, I think, you know, that you can't really ignore. And so I hope that we're, we're developing a wellness committee. We've consulted some wellness experts um, and they've offered some suggestions, but we haven't wanted to implement those without really the membership, you know, and the committee saying, is this what we really need or do we need to do something else? You know, whether it's toolkits, whether it's, you know, wellness experts that we can have on call for people to talk about, mentors, you know, or do we need different metrics for how many patients a pharmacist can see and how much administrative work, you know, we've been trying to produce those numbers, but every practice is so different. How do we, how do we come up with those things to help our members feel supported? Yeah, I do think the systems approach is almost the way I feel like it needs to go. Cause I feel like, you know, people keep telling me to go do yoga and like, <laughs> there's so much yoga you can do before it just doesn't fixing the problem. Like the problem's not get always getting in a great headspace. It is sort of that workload. Even for me, when I've justified positions, I think where I did it 10 years ago is different than how I would probably do it now. Um, the justification is probably the same, but in terms of how I structured the positions. And I think in the past, we have kind of been in this mindset almost as a profession that you got to prove your worth. And we got to prove ourselves. And so we want to be there. We want to be there and we want to be there the whole day. And 
just in case someone needs us. 24 hours. You know, we teach our residents that, you know, if someone calls at midnight, you answer that phone and be of help to them because you're on that team. We did it to, to, to prove our worth. And then we went a little too far. We, on the scope of things. And then now it's really trying to figure out how do you pull it back and recalibrate the positions because I don't know that they're set up to be that successful with the things that we're asking people to do and we would like them to do. I mean, I think, you know, research and publications are where I think a lot of people want to do and institutions would like them to do it. For us, it's certainly not required because it's definitely not a part of the built-in position. But if you want to go do that stuff and it's not required, that means you got to do it on a your own time. Correct. Which then makes your workday a lot longer than it probably should be. I think it'll be interesting. I know um, some HOPA members are presenting some survey work also at a conference later this summer. I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what comes out from there. Um, also a survey of um, membership and um, I took the survey, but it was a long time ago <laughs> uh, to remember what was in it. You know, if that helps kind of bring some things to light um, that that maybe, you know, organizations can be focused on. I think one of the other things that that I see with with HOPA and any of the other hematology oncology organizations is we can't do everything ourselves. I think this is an important thing that we reach out to other groups like ISOP or, you know, ENCODA or whomever else would be interested in collaborating to try to figure out, you know, every organization doesn't need their own burnout or wellness toolkit, but how do we work together to create something that works for a larger number of people that potentially you know, gleans more weight because more organizations are using it. And, you know, potentially we need to test those resources to see if they help as well, not just implement something and say, well, we did it, you know, but actually see is what we did effective and and kind of go from there. Yeah. Well, I'm interested in the metrics part too of, you know, in the past, we've had some positions that we've justified and have said six half days a week that they should be in clinic and thinking, seeing patients, not necessarily a patient cap, but in terms of like physical presence, thinking that you can do your meetings on those other days, your, all of your notes and all of those other things can fall on those days. But I'll be honest, I didn't set up every position like that. And, and so the positions that aren't like that, how do you get them to that? Is that the right number? Probably we could debate that, but it like some of those more systematic metrics, I think would be really helpful in, in terms of how many can you see. And if we go over that number, we know we're probably getting into that burnout phase. I agree. In investigational drugs, we're looking at metrics. You know, there used to be an old adage, one pharmacist to every 50 studies, you know, that's really old. And how do you how do you justify when you need new you know new people things are more complex patients are more complex because they're living longer and oftentimes in survivorship we end up you know dealing with a lot of those types of things in you know our ambulatory care clinics so how do we you know how do you justify that for every type of clinic where pharmacists are doing something a little bit different yeah well in investigational drugs you know i've had 
for most of my time. Um, and it's, I would, I mean, there's so many things that have changed in it. I mean, there's so many things that have changed in a lot of areas, but in investigational drugs, I feel like when I started, it was a lot of sort of a standard compound in terms of an IV or, you know, you're getting 30 tablets into vial, getting, you know, getting that out to the coordinator who gets it to the patient. I mean, fairly straightforward things. And now they are not straightforward. <laughs> I mean, it's like if you get one of those today, you kind of think like, what am I missing? Like there's got to be a catch and <laughs> relook at it because things just aren't that simple anymore. I think it's due, it, it's it's incredible because it's advancing the care of, of patients with cancer with cancer, but it's also, you know, posing a challenge. The time to make up a lot of investigational drugs in a busy infusion unit you know, those ones that have, you know, 30 plus files slow our practice down. And, um, you know, how do we account for that with scheduling patients? How do we account for the cost and time it takes us to, you know, to do that? We've been, we came up with kind of a, a pricing schema for investigational drugs. And now I'm like, this doesn't work anymore. And I just did this a couple of years ago. Um, you know, so hopefully we'll get some metrics on that stuff. But I think, you know, again, it's, it's metrics all the way around hematology, oncology, pharmacy that's needed to help support, I think, the people that do feel so burned out. Yeah. No, I think that all of those would be helpful. And I've appreciated, I think, how HOPA has been sort of the the go-to spot for investigational drugs and has kind of created a home for <laughs> that. Um, do you see that sort of continuing or expanding? Um, in the future? I hope so. I think one of the things, you know, I'm a hematology oncology kind of trained pharmacist who kind of ended up somehow <laughs> in investigational drugs, more so I think because I thought it was interesting and I really enjoyed the learning, but it seemed odd. And I think, you know, really the pandemic was what kind of pushed us together a little bit more that, you know, I'm struggling through this, what are you doing? And I just happened, you know, to be on an NCCN committee with some other investigational drug pharmacists. And we got to talking and then I was like, well, we have this SIG and HOPA. Yeah. <laughs> why don't we, why don't we do something with this? And um, it's been terrific to learn from and, you know, to try to get people a little bit on the same page with some of the things that we're dealing with. And particularly during COVID-19, when we threw basically the whole playbook of, of how we did investigational drugs out the window <laughs> and started okay. new, um, you know, I think it felt good to have support for people. So I hope that we continue to try to, to move that forward. I know that group has still been very active. Um, they meet on a monthly basis and they have several subgroups of, you know, guidelines and things like that coming out. So I hope it continues. Yeah. Well, and even, you know, the best practices and, you know, you read the, that best practice, those guidelines. And, and I, I was just smiling as I was reading them being like, oh yeah, we deal with that on a daily basis. Oh, yep. This one too. And, and then you realize everybody's dealing with the same stuff. Mm -hmm. We're all doing it independently and getting the same responses back of, no, you can't change that. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of come together to, to ultimately hopefully change it for the better. And I think that's where, you know, 
groups publishing that type of stuff. And I think it goes back to those metrics, you know, in IDS and, and outside of that for hematology, oncology, pharmacists, and ambulatory clinics, we need to publish that information because then that gives us something to be able to fall back on to say, look, this is a best practice. And so I think those, you know, those have been helpful. I know I've used a lot of the publications that I've seen from, you know, other uh, hematology, oncology pharmacists across the country to kind of help justify positions. Um, precision oncology is another, you know, really hot topic and kind of getting a pharmacist dedicated to be able to help doing that and how to structure it. You know, all of those types of programs, I think, have been so helpful in helping people feel more confident in what a practice should be and all the training associated with that, too. So, Anything else from a, a HOPA standpoint? I think the other um, big initiative that we are starting, and it kind of, kind of came out of just a, a random conversation in January, uh, is the HOPA Ambassador Program. You know, so again, I think what we've always struggled with is we get requests to have pharmacists explain what a hematology-oncology pharmacist can do, but it's it's usually like on Tuesday and we need you in Chicago on Friday. Can you do this for a patient advocacy organization? Or, you know, I think even physicians don't always know what a hemoc pharmacist can do for them. And so, you know, someone said, if we could just have people that could, you know, be deployed or, you know, sent out to, to do these things. And so it kind of came out of the, you know, HOPA ambassador. How do we get these people the tools that they need in order to feel comfortable saying this is what HOPA is, this is what a hematology oncology pharmacist can do. And then hopefully as we have more of these metrics or use the literature that we have to give them kind of the, the confidence to present that information. And, and hopefully that will get, you know, patients asking for hemoc pharmacists help us with hill days and you know trying to get things like lowering drug pricing or provider status you know i think the more people we have kind of officially feeling comfortable disseminating the message um, the better that will be i think you know having people that are also passionate about it um and and it's also an opportunity i mean i know that there's a number of individuals that are are passionate about advocacy you're passionate about pay parity with oral chemo. And I'm sure that they would love to, to go and do that. So that's, that's a great program. We're hoping that it'll help with our, you know, students. I think I find I'm so impressed by students that I see now. I feel like I wouldn't get hired (laughs) with with all the, the stuff that they have on their resumes and things like that. And, you know, we've been trying to kind of put forth this national student organization through HOPA, but we hope that maybe some of the HOPA ambassador stuff can kind of start with the students and, you know, helping to get out what a hematology oncology pharmacist is to help build that pipeline of, of hemonc pharmacists. And, you know, from there, then kind of like you said, with policymakers, and maybe we do some of this stuff that we want to have more input on locally, you know, through some of these, these people who have those tools and resources and those leave behind packets um, that can be contacts for local state governments and, and things like that. I love how you said it started with, you know, just a, 
a conversation in January and it probably wasn't necessarily on the radar to do, but I feel like there's so many takeaways, even just from that of if you have an idea and you've got the right people in mm-hmm. in front of you to make sure you share it, you never know what it could, could form into. I think that's what I've loved so much about the hematology oncology you know, just the the people involved with that is there's so many ideas and, you you know, sometimes people just say a couple of things and then it's like, well, why don't we do that? That seems like a no brainer. I mean, these people are perfect to, you know, to, to help carry out this project, or you can always find someone who can help you figure out how to build those widgets. I think I, I feel so fortunate kind of in this profession to have so much support, you know, even if it's just on social media, like, I'm just meeting you for kind of the first time, but I feel like I've watched your podcast and and that sort of stuff. And I think that, um, I think that that's, what's, what's nice about hematology oncology pharmacy is just the camaraderie and, you know, helping one another as well as our patients and putting those, those people first. Yeah. And I think pharmacy is such a small world and I think everybody wants, at least I get the feeling that everybody wants everyone else to do well. And supporting you and what you do. So, um, yeah, I, I totally agree that just having the the conversation when you meet with somebody and who knows where where it'll end up. It could be an entire program uh, yep. that started in in an organization. I you know I did see that you you mentioned students and you graduated from Drake. Are you from mm-hmm. Iowa? I'm from Illinois, actually. Originally, I'm from kind of the the rural side of the state um, towards the Iowa border. And so I ended up at Drake University. I, I kind of stayed close to the Midwest here. <laughs> I'm from Nebraska, was why okay. I asked. So sure. when, I, when I see something from back in the Midwest, I I at least have to ask because uh, that always also strikes up a good a good conversation. So are you, you're a Husker? I am. Or, okay. yep. yep. Born and raised. <laughs> So I didn't, I didn't go to the university of Nebraska, but when you're in the state, you're just, you're a Husker. Certainly. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to the unscripted podcast. If you love it, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts.